Totally good to be here. Uh, we're continuing this morning with a series of messages that a number of us have been doing this summer called Summer of Love. Uh, to do a little recap, we began the summer by affirming in the scriptures that the scriptures say that God is love. God is love. Uh, God may be a, a, a whole bunch of other things, but the scriptures are very clear that God is love. And to define love, we have referred more than once to, con- to Thomas Aquinas's little definition uh, that love is the choice to will the good of the other, the choice to will the good of the other. And thus, love truly is a verb. Love does. Love wants what is good and best for others. Love acts toward that end. Love freely and joyfully acts, behaves, moves with the other's good in mind. And God, the Bible says, is love. And then uh, many weeks ago, uh, we read in the scriptures and talked about the fact that God loves you. Right after that, God is love. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. And then we read in 1 John about how loved people love. How loved people love. People have truly encountered and understood and welcomed God's love. In other words, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's tenderness, compassion, care, uh, God's mercy, God's love for them, then love others. Love people become vessels of and ambassadors of and practitioners of the love of God that is within them. And such people love God and such people love other people, all people, and in lots of different ways. And over the last several weeks, we've, uh, a variety of us have sort of drilled down into who that specifically is and what that specifically looks like. We're gonna do a little bit more of that this morning. Two Sunday mornings ago, Reverend O.G. Harry Williams talked about God's specific love for the poor. If you weren't here, I encourage you to rewind that on YouTube and catch that. He talked about the people that he lives among in East Oakland and to whom he ministers, the poor, the oppressed, uh, the disenfranchised, those who live among gang-infested neighborhoods, those who are food insecure, those who live on the streets and in tents and out in the elements, children, families, parents, even the elderly. And about the very clear message in the scriptures that not only does God love such people, but that we too are called to love such people in very specific ways, particularly the poor. And when we do so, as Harry read from Matthew 25, as we do so, somehow we minister to Jesus. God loves the poor. God calls us and inspires us as love people to love the poor. But what about the wealthy? Does God love the wealthy? And if so, what does that look like? And so Harry talked about God's love for the poor. We're going to look at the flip side of the other side of the coin in that realm this morning. Some stats. The average American possesses more wealth than 90% of the individuals on earth. The average American is wealthier, has greater wealth, greater access to wealth than 90% of individuals on earth. So on a global scale, at least, this puts most of us in the category that could be called wealthy, on a global scale. What do the scriptures then have to say about God's love in this realm, in this way, for us? We will see, but first let's pray. God, speak to us through your word. Your word is truth. Your word is good. Your word is life. You speak, help us to listen. Help us to be attentive to your way and to your will through your word. 
Make us fully available to you as much as it's up to us. Help us to be malleable in your good hands. We love you. You have loved us. We trust you. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words are stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly and forever forgotten. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So among Jesus' best-known words are these first spoken to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Under cover of darkness one night, Jesus said, For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. And God loves the world, cosmos. And Jesus' world seems to include everyone, everybody. God doesn't just love some people for some reason and not others. He doesn't just love these people and not those people or those people and not these people. God so loved and God so loves the cosmos and all the people in it. Of course, since the 1960s, a number of Catholic scholars and priests and a number of what became known as liberation theologians have talked about, quote, God's preferential option for the poor, a phrase seemingly coined by the Jesuit priest Pedro Arupe in 1968, God's preferential option for the poor. Does this mean, though, that even if it is a fair and accurately noted theme in the scriptures, does this mean that God somehow or in some ways or at some times favors the poor or that God loves the poor more than God loves the wealthy? If one reads the book of Amos, for example, one might be inclined to think so. The prophets sometimes have very, very, very sobering words for the rich, for the wealthy that are hard to read. And full disclosure, I... Uh, I did middle school and high school in an old and fairly unique, affluent, suburban kind of enclave in which there were many haves and some have-nots, and where there was this pretty big disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And I often found myself among the have-nots, or thought I was among the have-nots at times. And so in those young years during middle school and high school, as my faith and commitment to and understanding of Jesus and relationship with Jesus grew, that was certainly an influential facet of my context. And we should know, we should be aware, we should remember that our upbringings sometimes shape our understandings. Our upbringings sometimes or often shape our understandings. We should be aware. So let's open the scriptures to chapter 19 of the Gospel of Luke, a familiar story. Listen closely, this is God's word. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Ding, ding. Which Jesus certainly knew. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because Zacchaeus was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, not an accident, and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. But previously, he was just passing through. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Let's all mutter real quick. <laughs> Welcome home. 
Jesus is going to be the guest of a sinner, a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give back half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, and he certainly had, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him today, salvation, that's a really big and holistic word, has come to this house or this household or these people. Because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus previously, presumably, had been lost. As children, many of us sang, you can sing it along with me. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Stop. (laughs) He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. We remember that Zacchaeus was, among all things, you remember, oh, interesting that he was a chief tax collector, chief tax collector, but we remember chiefly that he was a wee little man. <laughs> if his life story was ever made into a Hollywood movie, Danny DeVito <laughs> would be the perfect leading role for sure. We remember that Zacchaeus was short, but do we remember as much that Zacchaeus was, as Luke records, wealthy? And that he was a sinner, he had made his wealth through less than noble means as a chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector for the Romans. But Jesus loved Zacchaeus, the wealthy one. Jesus chose good, Aquinas, for Zacchaeus, and Jesus acted on that. Yeah, Jesus sort of invited himself over to dinner. My mother always told us when we were kids, never invite yourself over to another friend's house to play or for dinner or for anything. Don't invite yourself over. That's rude. Wait for an invitation or invite them over to your house. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. In this case, it's not really rude, but it's an act of generosity and grace and compassion and love to invite into a home the grace and the presence and the person of God himself. No strings attached. Jesus loved wealthy people. There's no way around that looking at this passage. And yet Jesus didn't leave people, and in this case, wealthy people, unaffected. In and through Jesus, Zacchaeus experienced the incarnation of God's grace. As Tim Keller once wrote, there's a direct relationship between a person's grasp and experience of God's grace and his or her heart for justice and the poor. I'll say it again. There's a direct relationship between a person's grasp and experience of God's grace and that person's heart for justice and the poor. And this seems to be true in Zacchaeus' life. Somewhere along the way during Jesus' visit with Zacchaeus in his home and the conversations that went with that, Zacchaeus stands up and declares to Jesus and everyone within earshot, here and now, not one day off in the future, this is not a pledge that if the things sort of line up and my accountant says it's okay and everything falls into place. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, and certainly he had, I will pay back four times the amount. This is a stiff self-imposed penalty or justice. This story is not about a person's physical height or a tree a person climbed. It's about the love of God in Christ for all people, including the wealthy, and absolutely the transforming power of God. 
that the love of God can have on a person, in a person, for a person, through a person. God loves wealthy people. Jesus loved Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was different. He was a different person because of that. Salvation had come to his household. Somehow not just to him. God was dealing with his whole family because there was power in that. And now rewind one chapter in Luke's gospel to chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, you know the commandments. You should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy. The ruler said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Ugh. Sort of gut punch. When the ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was very, there's that word again, wealthy. Jesus looked at him and I think he looks with compassion. Luke doesn't say that here, but it seems to fit. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Instead, uh, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then could be saved? Jesus replied graciously, what is impossible with humanity is possible with God. All things are possible in the love of God. And though Jesus spoke words to this ruler, words that were almost unbearable for the ruler to certainly hear, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. Sometimes love, in other words, choosing good for another person isn't always what a person wants to hear, but notice at least how gentle Jesus is with this man. Remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, a person cannot serve both God and mammon. Aramaic word sort of translates the money God. A person cannot serve both the God of Israel and the God of money. It's just not possible, Jesus said. In the end, it'll be one or the other. And Jesus, in an act of love, care, and concern, says, choose God. Choose God. The one true God. Jesus knew the power of money. He knew the, the tug or the allure of mammon on the soul. Jesus talked more about money than any other topic besides the kingdom of God. So we kind of want to set that one aside till stewardship and then not show up that Sunday or just sort of avoid that topic. But we can't really be in Christ and seeking to follow Christ without paying close attention to what Jesus says about money possessions, wealth, because it's everywhere in his ministry. And for a, a lot of those people who heard Jesus, they had money, wealth, possessions. And Jesus was always intentional in his guidance, like a backpack that a person may continue to load up and fill up and load up and then overfill Jesus told a parable about a man who continued to build new barns as he got wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. Though in the end, he died before he was able to enjoy or properly use all of that wealth. Of course, there's nothing wrong with enjoying wealth. Don't hear me wrong. Or the things that wealth can bring into one's life, but one's wealth is not only for one's own enjoyment. It is, according to the scriptures, according to God's design for us and for others. My wealth 
is for me to enjoy and for others to enjoy. It's for my own needs and my family's needs and my neighbor's needs, but it's also for others who can never repay me for their needs as well. The wealthy person, the scriptures say, Jesus taught, would do well to understand this. Moreover, wealth is a poor measure of who a person is or of a person's value. I don't know if you live with this same worldview infringing on a biblical worldview. I feel like I do a lot. The world measures people and loves people according to or in accordance with the wealth they possess. Is that true? But the Lord doesn't. The Lord loves people according to his great love for humanity in Jesus Christ. And we, Jesus says, would do well to do the same, to see others through the same lens, to measure one another, not judge, but in that way. And part of Jesus' love for wealthy people involved freeing people from things to which or by which or in which they could be enslaved and are choked off from truth, which for some people was and is wealth. In his parable of the sower, Jesus said, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. It's there, it's available, it's close, it's accessible. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, the seeds, the word of God, truth. Choke, making it unfruitful. Again, to love is to choose to act toward the good of others. And Jesus did this continually, even when it was hard, even when to love, loving was hard or not welcome or unexpected. Wealth doesn't necessarily lead a person to love, joy, peace, or meaning. Wealth doesn't save a person from fear or loneliness or worry or anxiety. In fact, sometimes it's the cause of such, right? It can be. The wealth and the allure of wealth can sometimes get us into trouble. Thus, Jesus' teaching and guidance about wealth are not only instructive, but also about love. Much good can be done with wealth, for sure, and much good can be done in, for, through, with God's kingdom, with wealth. However, wealth, regardless of how it is obtained, can also cause a person to feel not only powerful, but also self-sufficient. As if one has gotten what one has in life through their own brilliance or hard work, which is pride. Or that one's destiny is in one's own hands. Wealth can cause one to feel that way, which is a false belief. We live in the dominion of God's good and loving care. And so God is love. God loves me. God loves you. Love people love. Love people, love God, love people, love other people in a lot of different ways. God loves the poor and calls us to love the poor with him. And God loves the wealthy, which includes many of us or maybe most of us here. Maybe not always in the way that we want to be loved, but God's love is incredibly pure and perfect. 
even when it may not seem that way to us. Zacchaeus was not an obvious target or recipient of God's love, and yet Jesus just effusively shows up. You, 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 I'm going to your house today. And we're going to laugh, and we're going to learn, and we're going to enjoy, and we're going to see, and whole new doors are going to be opened up as you understand God's grace for you, wealthy and depraved brother. The kingdom of God is coming, and it is a kingdom of love for the poor, for the wealthy, and everyone in between. Let's pray. God, help us get things straight in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. Help me. In our relationship with money and wealth and stuff and possessions and our twisted understandings and views of different things, help us to get things straight to see. Please forgive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Continue to forgive us as you have, as you promised as you do, as you will. Heal the broken and twisted parts within us, the allure of more than we need, the greed deep within some of us at times. Forgive and heal and restore to us the Zacchaeus joy of your salvation. And in that be honored and glorified. Father, crucified and risen Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.